Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You might remember earlier this year, a fire broke out in the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Images like this one began to filter through and people all over the world expressed their shock and their sadness as this iconic and beautiful building went up in flames. Now you might not know this, but Notre Dame Cathedral is known as the Lady of Paris. Because she stands out in the city for her heritage, for her beauty, for her architecture. And this is why people were so shocked, so saddened when she began to burn. And this is why people began to unite in support in the days following the fire to rebuild Notre Dame. Now as I saw this reaction of so many people, the shock and the sadness and the support, I couldn't help but think of this passage in 1 Peter. This passage where we're told that Jesus is establishing something in this world that is far greater, far more beautiful, and far more lasting than any cathedral. No matter how beautiful, how historic, or how ornate it might be, Jesus is building a people to belong to himself. And in this passage, we are given a beautiful vision of the church. In verse 9, you might have heard it just then, the church is described as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, these are rich images, and they are telling us that the church is something profound. And yet my hunch is that these are not the words that most of us think about when we consider the church. Maybe when you think about the church, words that come to mind are insignificant or optional. Maybe you're not a Christian and the words that come to mind are irrelevant or outdated or hypocritical. I mean, whatever your attitude might be towards the church today, God wants to open our eyes. God wants us to see the true identity and the true beauty of the church. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this, but in this passage, we are not told to do anything. There's no command that is given to us in this passage. We are simply told who Jesus is and who we are as the church. 
In fact, this passage is kind of like a microscope. You know what a microscope does? You put something under it and it reveals to you things that aren't visible to the naked eye. Well, God wants us to look through this passage like a microscope to see the true beauty and the true identity of the church. Now, if you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, this is really, really important. Because as the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe you've been coming to church for so many years that your attitude and thinking about the church has become a little bit stale and a little bit selfish even. God wants to open your eyes afresh today. Or maybe you're not a Christian and I pray that this morning is helpful because you'll be able to move beyond what everybody else says about the church and you'll be able to see what the Bible says about the church and what we are called to be as the church. And so what do we see as we hold up this passage like a microscope? Well, we see three glorious truths about the church. Three truths about our identity as the people of God. If you're taking notes, the first truth that we see in this passage is this. We are a spiritual house where God is present. We are a spiritual house where God is present. Now, if we have the freedom and the ability to do so, we choose our homes where we live with great care, don't we? We research neighborhoods, we trawl through realestate.com looking for the perfect house with the perfect features. We go to countless open homes because where we live is a big deal to us. And it's the same for God. Where God dwells is a big deal. This is why in the Old Testament you have such specific instructions about the construction of the temple and the sacrificial system because God's dwelling place is a big deal. Now in verse 5, Peter tells us where God makes his home today. That's what he says. As you come to him, this is Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, those who have come to Jesus, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, as I mentioned in the Old Testament, the temple was God's house. The temple in Jerusalem was the place of God's dwelling. But now that Jesus has come, that sin has been paid for, that the Spirit has been poured out, Peter says, we are God's house. We are the place where God's Spirit dwells. Now, there is a famous story that comes from Sparta, the, the city-state in ancient Greece. A Spartan king was boasting to a visitor about the walls of Sparta. But this visitor was looking around and he couldn't see any walls. And so he said to the king, where are these walls about which you boast so much? The king pointed at his bodyguard of magnificent troops and he said, these are the walls of Sparta. Every man a brick. Now, it's the same for us. Every man, woman, and child a brick. Every Christian is a living stone in God's house. Now, what this means is as we gather together as God's people, God is with us. 
We don't have to conjure up his presence. We don't have to beg him to show up. We don't have to invite him to be here. He is with us when we gather because he is in us and among us. We are God's house. And it has nothing to do with this building. I mean, there's nothing particularly sacred or special about this building or any building in the world. God does not dwell in buildings. God dwells in people. And this is why it doesn't really matter where we gather. I mean, Christians all over the world meet in homes and huts. They meet under trees and in tents. They meet in large buildings and they meet in beautiful cathedrals. The point is not where we gather. The point is that we gather. And I mean, this is what the imagery of a living stone or a brick communicates to us. Um, What do you do with a brick? You don't take a brick, put it on a block of land, and then stand back and admire it. You take that brick, you put it together with a whole lot of other bricks, and you build it into a home or a building. The point of a brick is not to sit on its own and be admired. The point of a brick is to be built into a building. This is why it hurts me to say a little bit, but Pink Floyd got it right and Bob Dylan got it wrong. We are to be bricks in the wall, not rolling stones. We're to be built into the building, support the structure. And yet, so many Christians, especially in the West, they live as if they are rolling stones. They live as if they can roll in and out of Christian community. Many come to church just occasionally when it suits. Maybe it's just to hear a sermon or or just for the kids to get some spiritual input or to see some friends. But they don't build themselves into the community. They don't share their time, their gifts, their resources, their struggles, their lives. They roll in, get what they need and then roll out until... Next time. But God is calling us to so much more. Because when we come to Christ, he takes us as we are. He puts us into his building and he builds us into something glorious and something lasting. We are God's house. Now you might be looking around thinking, us? Really? Because the truth is, we're fairly ordinary and fairly unremarkable. You might be thinking, well, speak for yourself, Adam. And you're probably right. But, I mean, let's be honest. We don't feel like the dwelling place of God all the time. And this is why we need this microscope. We need this passage because we need to see what God is doing among us. In fact, did you notice the present tense that was used in verse 5? Peter did not say, you have been built into a spiritual house. He says, you are being built into a spiritual house. Maybe we should kind of put a a sign over the, the front of our building, under construction. Because we're not complete. We're not finished yet. Now there's a day coming when we will be. When Jesus returns, he will bring the kingdom of God finally and fully. God will dwell with us totally and tangibly. And we will be complete, glorified and restored. The temple of God will not just be kind of the people. The temple of God will be the whole earth because the glory of God will fill the earth. The scaffolding will fall away and everything that God has been building will finally be revealed. 
But that day hasn't come yet. We are still being built. And so we need to be part of the building project. We need to not be rolling around on the edges of the building site. We need to be built into the structure. And friends, this is why we do what we do. This is why we show up to church consistently. This is why we give and we serve and we pray and we love and we sacrifice. Not just because we have to, but because God is with us and God is building us into something glorious. So if your attitude towards the church has become a little bit stale, a little bit selfish, then I pray that this vision of being built into a spiritual house would fill you with fresh energy, fresh devotion and fresh love for God's people. We are a spiritual house where God is present. But God places his presence among us not just because it's a nice place to be. Sometimes it's not even that. But God places his presence among us for a purpose. And this is what we see next in the the second truth about our identity that we see in this passage. And that is we are a holy priesthood where God can be found. Let me ask you this question. Where should you go if you want to meet God? Should you go to the mountains or to the beach? Should you go to a library somewhere with silence and solitude? Perhaps surprisingly, the answer to this question has something to do with priests and priesthoods. Now, of course, these images don't conjure up overly positive uh, pictures in our minds, but they're such important words in the Bible, which is why it's so important for us to understand them. And Peter, in fact, uses this imagery of a priesthood twice in this passage. In verse 5, he says, We, the church, are a holy priesthood. And then in verse 9, that we are a royal priesthood. Now, the background to this is that in the temple in Jerusalem, there were priests. Now, the privilege of being a priest was that you had special access to God. Only the priests could go into the most holy places in the temple. But as a priest, you also had a special responsibility. It was your job to make way for others to have access to God. This is why priests would make animal sacrifices for the sins of the people. In other words, the priests were mediators between God and people. In fact, the Latin word for priest is pontifex, which literally means bridge builder. The priests are to build bridges between God and people. This is why in the Old Testament, if you asked a Jewish person, where do I go to meet God? They would say, go to the temple to see the priests. But all of this has changed and been transformed with the coming of Jesus. The whole system was pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, the ultimate bridge builder between God and man. Jesus came from heaven to earth to reveal God to us through his life and to bring us to God through his death. And this is why through his sacrifice on the cross, we are totally and fully washed clean and we now have access to God. This is why When Peter describes us as priests and us as a priesthood, he is saying that you now have the privilege of special access to God. This is why when Jesus died on the cross, 
the temple curtain that divided the Holy of Holies, that separated the Holy of Holies, the hot spot of God's presence, it tore in two from top to bottom. Matthew chapter 27. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is communicating to us that the old priesthood is finished. That the sacrificial system has been abolished because we now have access to God through faith in Jesus. We have special access to God. And listen, this is true of all of us, not just ministers or church leaders. I don't have any more access to God than you do. Nor does any other church leader. You don't need me or any other church leader to absolve you of your sins. You just need Jesus. And this is why the Bible says that we can all now approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We have special access to God. This is the privilege of being a priest and part of the priesthood. But as priests, we also have a responsibility. This special access to God has not been given to us just for us. Not just so that we might bunker down and retreat from the world. Not so that we might just serve ourselves. It's been given to us so that we might serve God and worship God. We don't have to make animal sacrifices anymore because we have been washed clean by Jesus' death. But that doesn't mean we don't have to offer sacrifices. In fact, Peter said in verse 5 that we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, this is any act of service to God empowered by the Spirit of God. This is the praise of our lips, the help of our hands, the money in our accounts, the love of our hearts, the prayers that we pray. This is any act of service that we offer to God. But our responsibility doesn't even end there. Because we're not only to worship God by offering sacrifices, we are also to help others find God. We are to be bridge builders to God. How do we do this? Well, we do it with both our lives and our lips. We see both these things in this passage. Firstly, our lips. Peter says in verse 9 that we've been called to declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, what do you do when you see a movie or a TV show, or you read a book that you just love and that makes an impact on you. You tell others about it. You tell them to see the movie, read the book. You want them to experience it. You praise it. In the same way, when we experience the goodness of God, when we are taken from darkness and put into light, we cannot help but tell others. We want to declare God's praises. Now, this will involve many different things. It will involve us singing to God, praying to God, talking about God, discussing his word, marveling at his works, rejoicing in his character. And when the opportunity arises, it will involve sharing his message, the good news of what he's done for us in Jesus. And this means we need to know the message and we need to know how to communicate the message. And I know that this is daunting for many of us, if not most of us. And so I just want to let you know about one opportunity that you have to help in this regard. I want to let you know about an event that's coming up. 
On Wednesday, the 28th of August at 7 p.m. in the Brisbane CBD, there'll be evangelism training happening with Sam Chan. Now, Sam is a brilliant communicator. He's one of uh, City Bible Forum's national communicators. He recently wrote a book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World that is just excellent. And he'll be helping us think through the changes in our culture and giving us practical tools for sharing Jesus in our world. For more info, you can check out the bulletin where we've put some information there. But if you would like some help in understanding the message about Jesus and being able to share that, then I would encourage you to head along to hear Sam on Wednesday the 28th. God has called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light. And he's done this not just so that you and I might know where we're going when we die. He's done it so that we might invite others to step into his wonderful light. We are to be bridge builders in this world and we do that by declaring the praises of our God and King. We do it with our lips. We also do it with our lives. We build bridges to God by the way that we live and by the way that we love and by the way that we serve. This is what Peter means when he describes us as a holy nation. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the word holy means separate or different or distinct. In other words, to be a holy nation means that we are to be a different nation. We are like a nation within the nation of Australia. We have been called to be a counter-culture. What this means, it does not mean we assimilate into our culture. We don't believe like everyone else. We don't think like everyone else. We don't live like everyone else. We will be different. And we might be ridiculed for being different, rejected for being different, but it's okay because Jesus himself was rejected by the world but chosen and precious to God. So we don't assimilate into our culture, but neither do we attack our culture. Like Jesus, we don't angrily hit back or fight back. We don't look down on others. We're not superior to others. We are simply those who have received mercy. This is what Peter said in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Now what does that mean? It means once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We reflect our merciful God by living lives of mercy. This is why Peter has already called us to live hopeful, holy, humble lives. It's why he called us last week, do you remember, to love one another deeply. Because we are called to build bridges to God by the way that we live, love and serve one another. We are to be a community that reflects the goodness and the mercy of God. In fact, this reminds me of so many stories that I've heard over the years of people who, who come in among us and say, I've never felt so loved, I've never felt so welcomed. In fact, one lady said recently, I've never felt so welcomed anywhere or any time in my life. We are to be a holy priesthood where God can be found. And every single one of us is called to this task. You don't have to have a position or a title or a theological degree. But you have to be available to be used by God to declare his praises. We are a spiritual house where God is present. We are a holy priesthood where God can be found. Thirdly and finally, we are a chosen people where God is glorified. 
In verse 9, Peter describes the church as a chosen people and as God's special possession. Now, a few years ago, I was in the United States for a conference and I had a few days to look around Washington, D.C. Loved it. All the museums were just amazing. One of the things I did was I visited Ford's Theatre, the place of President Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Now, at Ford's Theatre, there is a museum there that is filled with items that used to belong to Abraham Lincoln. Brushes, books, chairs, a walking stick, and so on. Now, many of these items are totally ordinary, but they are now special, precious, and valuable simply because of who they belong to. Now, Peter is saying that we are very ordinary people, though we are very ordinary people. We are valuable and precious and special because of who we belong to. We are God's special possession. Now, think about God's possessions. Think about what God owns. He owns the lions, the elephants, the giraffes, the Grand Canyon, the Pacific Ocean, the Himalayas, the moons, the planets, the stars, everything. And yet when God looks down upon all that he owns, there is only one thing that he describes as his special possession. There's only one thing that that he says, I deeply cherish and love and value this thing. And what is it? It's the church. It's his people. It's you and me. We are pressed deeply into the heart of God. We are cherished by God. Now, here's what this means for us. This means even if the world rejects us, even if our culture turns against us, even if our life falls apart, we do not need to fear and we do not need to fight back because we belong to him who holds everything. He will fight our battles. He will take care of us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Reminds me of the old hymn, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Are you starting to see the true grandeur of the church? We are a spiritual house where God is present. We are a holy priesthood where God can be found. We are a chosen people where God is glorified. And it's my prayer that we as a church would begin to embody and express these realities. That we would be a place where God is tangibly present. That we would be a community where God can be easily found. And that we would be a people among whom God is glorified. But the question remains, doesn't it? Well, these are incredible blessings and incredible privileges, but how do we take hold of them? How do I enter into them? How do I become part of the house, the priesthood, the people? And the answer is, it's all down to your response to Jesus. That's the point of verses 6 to 8 where we are told that there are basically two types of people in this world. There are those who believe in Jesus. He is the cornerstone on which they build. 
And then there are those who reject Jesus and he is the stumbling stone over which they fall. And Peter says to those who believe in Jesus, he says, you will never be put to shame. Even if you might be considered a loser or stupid right now, even if you might be rejected or ridiculed for putting your hope in Jesus right now, you will never ultimately be a loser. You will never ultimately be put to shame because Jesus is reigning and ruling and returning. But for those who reject Jesus, there's no grandeur or glorification. There is only stumbling and falling. And if you have not yet come to Christ, I hope you see the privilege and the blessing of life with God and life among the people of God. The church is far grander than you realize and Jesus is far greater than you could have ever imagined. And Jesus will either be your foundation stone or he will be your stumbling block. But one thing he will not do is he will not go away. He is the future of the entire universe. And this morning he is inviting you to enter in, to become part of the building that he is building in this world and that will go on for all eternity. Will you enter in and build your life on this precious, precious cornerstone? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ was rejected by the world, but he is chosen and precious to you. And he is the future of this universe. And so, Lord, we want to build our lives on the rock, on the cornerstone that will never fail, that will never let us down. You are the only sure thing in this world. And this morning, Lord, wherever we are, maybe we're far from you, we've never turned to you, Maybe we've drifted from you. This morning we want to come back to you. We want to come to you for the first time. We want to place our trust and our faith in Jesus. The one who died the death that we deserve to die so that we could have life with you that we have not earned. And so Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we enter into the house, the building, the people that you are establishing in this world and that will go on forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.